listening to Closer Look. I'm with Maureen Underwood from the Society for the Prevention of Teen Suicide. She's a licensed clinical social worker, a certified group psychotherapist, and a nationally recognized expert on youth suicide prevention. Tell me a little bit about you and your background. I had a colleague who had been working at Florida State University back in the 1980s. And the suicide rate in 1980 had tripled from 1950. So it was the beginning of people beginning to pay attention to it. Why the jump between the 1950s and the 1980s? What did you find? What they found it was the rate had not increased for everybody. The only group for which the rate had increased so dramatically were white males. And when they looked at that a little closer, one of the things that they came up with was that there was an increase in alcohol and drug use. There is some sort of tie between alcohol and drug abuse and suicide. And one of the ways the field is trying to address it is realizing, you know, that it's kind of late to get to kids when they're in high school. By then, a lot of them have started drinking and it's kind of hard at that point in time to say, you know, this isn't such a good idea. So the field has really been trying to move in a direction that they call upstream, which is getting kids at much younger ages to teach them better coping skills, how to manage their feelings better so that when they get really upset, the first thing they don't turn to is a bottle. They might turn to a friend or they might turn to a trusted adult. So that's kind of the direction that's been taking is starting suicide prevention programming much earlier to increasing things that are called social-emotional learning, which lots of schools do in elementary and middle school, and trying to help kids of all ages understand when you're in a jam, you really need to have a trusted adult you can go to to talk with. Okay, so who do you recommend might be a trusted adult? Let's say a young man has a difficult family life and they don't feel safe sharing their feelings with their dad, for example. Who might they reach out to? First of all, I want to say it's a great example because I think oftentimes parents feel insulted if our kids don't come to us. And, you know, I can remember when my son was a teenager and I found he was talking to, you know, somebody else's parents and I'm like, what? I'm a social worker. How come you're not talking to me? And realizing that in some ways, Sometimes their parents aren't the best listeners, and sometimes that's a reflection of the separation that naturally takes place in adolescence. If you can't talk to your parent, maybe, in fact, you've got a teacher or a coach or a neighbor or a youth minister or sometimes an older brother or sister. So it's just somebody who's older than you are, who knows how to listen to you, doesn't try to fix your problems, really helps you understand what your problems are, and then if indeed it's necessary, knows how to get you to some professional help. That's very interesting about doesn't try to fix your problems because I think as parents, especially, or as older people, we want to fix somebody else's dilemma. Especially children. I think most of us as adults, really, it's just so painful to see children suffer. And when you have a child, for example, who's feeling so terrible that they say, you know, I wish I weren't here anymore. The natural inclination is to say, oh, come on, it's not that bad. Or, oh, things are going to get better. Or just wait and see. Five years from now, you'll look back on this and laugh. And the important thing for all of us to do, which is the hardest thing for us to do, is to say those magic three words, tell me more, is to ask that child to tell you more about what's going on in their life right now that has them feeling so terrible that they're thinking about dying. That's the start of it because we know as adults, when we talk to people who really listen to us and don't try to fix things right away or start telling us their own story, those are people that we go back to. And that's what we want to establish for kids 
are those go-to adults who listen to what's going on. Because you know, when you talk about your feelings, you often can figure out the problem yourself. It's that intensity of feelings that has you kind of trapped and overwhelmed. So if you can talk it through, sometimes the solution becomes much clearer to see. I love that. If you've just joined us, I'm Monica Kelly with Closer Look. Maureen, tell us about some of the things that the Society for the Prevention of Teen Suicide does. Well, the Society was started by two fathers who had lost their teenage children to suicide two months ago part. And after some of those initial feelings of shock kind of calmed down a bit, they really became very concerned that they knew nothing about youth suicide and didn't realize, you know, it was such a leading cause of death for kids. And they decided that they wanted to not just educate themselves, but educate others who were in the lives of kids. So one of the first things they did was stir up some interest in the legislature in New Jersey, which is where the organization is located. And they were able to get the first legislation in the country passed that mandated two hours of professional development training for educators in suicide awareness. Well, as you know, you know, most of these wonderfully intentioned pieces of legislation are never funded. So they created an online teacher education program that you can actually find on their website. You can do it online, download a certificate of completion at the end. And they've had over 300,000 educators around the country complete that since the program began. It's very, very up to date. It really corrects misinformation about suicide. But more than that, I think it helps people understand they have a critical but very limited role. You know, it's not up to us if we don't have professional training to fix what's happening in the lives of kids who are feeling so hopeless they want to die. It's just our job to listen to them, to let them know we care, and then to get them to the appropriate resources. And that's really been the focus of most of the work that SPTS has done and is doing. They've got resources for parents for educators and for kids on their website. They do training in a curriculum that's called Lifelines, which is an evidence-based curriculum for fifth and sixth graders, seventh to 10th graders, and 11th and 12th graders that usually is done in school settings. So it's primarily a site that gives you lots and lots of access to resources to help you really kind of better understand the realities of youth suicide. Tell us a little bit about cluster suicides. Unfortunately, because suicide does happen, every state has kind of a number of suicides that happen in that state every year. And when there's an area in the state where there seem to be more suicides in a period of time in a geographic area, that's what's called a cluster of suicides. And what we see in clusters sometimes is that there's an imitation of the method that's used. Sometimes there's a direct connection to the person who died. Sometimes it's just there's vulnerable kids who may have been suicidal before. And if the suicide gets a lot of attention, is glamorized or romanticized, or it looks like this kid is really more popular in death than in life, sometimes vulnerable kids who are not thinking straight can really imitate that suicide. So that's why there's such strong regulations really about don't want to glamorize, we don't want to sensationalize, we don't want to make people bigger in death than they are in life because that sends a very dangerous message. So that's why there's some really strict guidelines and there is a handout on the SPTS website that gives you some guidelines for what not to do and for what to do in the aftermath of a suicide. What is the website for the Society for the Prevention of Teen Suicide? The website is SPTS, 
the first letters of every one of those words, USA.org. And it can take you right to the website where all of that stuff is located. And the other thing about the website I'll say is if you have a concern or a question and you don't find the resource on there, if you drop them a note and say, I need help with this or that, they'll get in touch with those of us who are their clinical advisors and we'll come up with something for you right away. That's wonderful. What are some of the signs to watch out for? in a young person? I would say, you know, that the primary sign to watch out for are really changes. You know, adolescence is such a time of ups and downs. What we tell folks is that if you notice changes in your child that seem to last for at least two weeks, and these would be changes in their feelings, in their actions, in their daily routines, in their relationships with friends, maybe school performance, anything you see that concerns you. If there's direct statements or even indirect talk about suicide, I don't see the point of this anymore. I don't need to worry about my grades. I'm not going to go to college. Anything that's really a little worrisome, the job for all of us is to simply say, gee, you don't seem to be yourself. I wonder if there's anything going on you'd like to talk about. Kids initially will say, no, there's nothing. What you want to do is just open that door to conversation to say, well, there may not be anything right now, or maybe you don't want to talk to me. And if you were to talk to somebody, who would that be? To get them to think about that other trusted adult and to let them know there's nothing that they can't talk about and that talking about things is really the first step in helping them become better. If you've just joined us, I'm Monica Kelly with Closer Look. And we're speaking today about teen suicide. Maureen Underwood is my guest from the Society for the Prevention of Teen Suicide. And Maureen, you go into schools and you talk directly to kids. Tell us a little bit about that. You know, there are some things we've learned about how to talk about suicide in a way that really doesn't increase the risk in vulnerable youth. So one of the things we know, for example, is we never do assemblies because we know that 16% of kids have said they've thought about suicide. We know that they're sitting in every assembly you're doing and you don't know where they are. So what we recommend is that conversations about suicide take place in classroom settings, that the teacher who knows the kid is always present and maybe sometimes teaches the lesson so that they can eyeball the kids in the class and see who is it that may be having some difficulties with the topic and approach those kids after. We also give kids permission not to be in the class if they choose not to and ask teachers to provide them with an alternate assignment that really reflects resiliency and helps them understand better ways to cope with stress. Our primary message to kids, it's okay to ask for help and it's important to identify at least three trusted adults in your life you can go to if you need help with anything. So that's sort of the primary thing we teach 5th and 6th and 7th to 10th graders. 11th and 12th graders, we really talk to them about what happens when your plans for the future fall through. When plan A doesn't work after you graduate from high school, what are you going to do? How are you going to put plan B into place? And how are you going to replace those friends you thought were going to be friends from life from high school now you hardly ever see? So it's about increasing your support and your social connection once you leave high school. And I'm curious if part of your curriculum is to have, say, a high school senior think about plan B and C 
ahead of time. Yes, it is. And actually what we do is we have two sessions and the title of one of them is, do you need a crystal ball to see the future? And we have them, you know, kind of write in a, a little crystal ball, what some of the things are they see in their future. And they keep that private. They don't have to share it with anyone. And in the second session, we actually have some videos of kids who graduated from high school who tell their stories, you know, what their plan A was and how it didn't quite work the way they thought it was going to work. And then what they did to get to plan B. One boy, for example, talks about he went to therapy. A girl talks about, you know, when her plan A of just being in college didn't work because she couldn't afford it, she joined the military. Another girl talks about how she had to really go to her friends to ask for support to kind of refigure her plans so they were more in focus with reality than just those crazy dreams. Maureen, I know in some cases it can be devastating when you're young and you have your first breakup. What do you tell young people in that situation? Oh my, don't we all remember that? It is devastating. And I think some of what we tell them is to tell us more, to tell us about how they feel and not try to make it better. You know, those are those situations where you want to go in and say, oh, it's not that bad. There's lots of fish in the sea. Oh, you'll find somebody else. He probably wasn't the right one for you anyway. And rather than say, boy, I can see your heart is broken. Tell me more about it. And again, as we said, when you talk about feelings, the intensity can sometimes diminish. And when you become that person who a kid sees, you know, is going to listen to me and not try to make my feelings go away, because obviously you can't, you know, that becomes a real support for that child. It's a support for us as adults as well. This doesn't change through our life cycle. We all need people. We can talk about our problems and who appreciate our perspective, even if it seems small to them, they can hear that it's really upsetting to us. And again, just that validating how I feel can make me feel so much better. Absolutely true. No matter how old you are, you're right. Tell us about walking somebody through those feelings of hopelessness and how it made a difference. Hopelessness is one of the feelings. And I think sometimes the way to help somebody is to really lend them some of your hope. People who are suicidal very frequently tell us they feel very alone. Nobody could understand me. I'm just such a failure. Life has gone on and I'm sitting here alone, isolated from everyone. So one of the suggestions we make is that, you know, if you've got someone who's really struggling truly with any situation of hopelessness, you validate it. You know, I can tell you feel hopeless right now. I hear that you can't see any other way out of this, but I'm here with you. And I think if we put our heads together, we may be able to come up with a better solution what do you think? It's using what we call joining words, our heads, together, we, us, that alleviates some of that feeling of being so alone. It's a very simple way to lend hope to someone who's feeling like there's no one in the world who understands me. So that's one of the first steps. And then, of course, what you're going to do is you're going to get that person to someone professional who really has skills to kind of take it from there. That's really an open door for someone to walk through to begin to feel like, I think there may be another way out than suicide. Thank you. Again, if you've just joined us, I'm Monica Kelly with Closer Look, and I'm speaking with Maureen Underwood. She's from the Society for the Prevention of Teen Suicide, and she's a licensed clinical social 
social worker, a certified group psychotherapist, and a nationally recognized expert on youth suicide prevention. Maureen, I bet you have a personal story where somebody went from feeling like there was no point in life to coming to another realization. Would you like to share one of those stories? I have a lot of those stories because I you know, had a, a clinical therapy practice for many, many years. And I can remember a young woman who came in when I first saw her. She was in her early 20s and she'd made so many attempts in her adolescence that she actually had to have plastic surgery on her arms. She also was using alcohol and drugs as a way to cope. And during the course of our treatment, she went into rehab, stopped using alcohol, and really became a very, very dedicated member of Alcoholics Anonymous. The program gave her structure and support and really did help her organize her life. She struggled. Life never just goes in one linear direction up. And she had up and downs and up and downs for many, many years and, you know, made a couple of attempts in the time I was seeing her and then got to the point where I remember one night she came into one of our sessions and she said, I don't think I'm safe with myself. Would you take me to the hospital? So we went to the hospital and that was really her last hospitalization. After that, you know, she had suicidal thoughts and feelings. Unfortunately, some people struggle with those for a very, very long time, but she never acted on them. And she knew other things to do to keep herself safe. Today, she's in her 50s and she's living a rich, full life with a couple of dogs and owns a house and is advanced in her career. And, you know, I'm always so proud when I think of her because she really had a lot of courage and bravery and you know, kept going and really came to a point where she could live her life and know there was a reason for her to be here. So that's one of these inspiring stories I have. That's great. Thank you. What is the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline number? The National Lifeline number is one 800 273 8 255 Would you like to give that one more time? Yes, it's one 800 273 8255. Well, again, thank you, Maureen. Is there anything else that you would like to share? If I had to say one thing, it's those three magic words tell you more about it. I guarantee they'll have a surprise look on their face because most people expect you to walk in and try to fix things instead of just listening to how they feel. But that just makes the biggest difference in everyone's life. You can contact Maureen on her website, which is www.sptsusa.org or just Google Society for the Prevention of Teen Suicide. For Closer Look, I'm Monica Kelly.